This episode of Empire is brought to you by QuickNode. QuickNode is an end-to-end blockchain development platform that makes building Web3 apps super easy. No matter what you want to build, you can effortlessly develop any application by leveraging their elastic APIs. Go to quicknode.com, use code Empire. You'll get a free month on their feature-backed build plan. That's right. Go to quicknode.com. You'll get a free month to start playing around. You'll hear more about QuickNode later in the show. Santi, I think this is uh, the biggest smile I've ever seen on your face today. So uh, happy uh, happy Thursday to you. Why are you feeling so good, my friend? <laughs> uh, you know, what's not to like it's Thursday. We always record on Thursday. It's always, it's always a good always day, Thursday. I feel like. It's always a good day. Uh, but uh, really, really, uh, you know, I pinged you earlier. I was like, there's not much going on. I know you wanted like to maybe not slow. do this roundup. I was like, sir, there's some <laughs> I, stuff I was, like I was, Coinbase announced wallet to wallet messaging. Roundups. But I was this close to calling off the round. I mean, then, then all of a sudden we, we, of course, the Ripple um, case ruling dropped, which I think we just, just start with that, right, sir? Let's start with it. Great. Big news today. Uh, just dropped about 20 minutes before we started recording this. A U.S. federal judge has partially sided with Ripple Labs in an SEC lawsuit alleging that, uh, that Ripple issued an unregistered security offering with its uh, XRP token. So basically for the last... How long has this been going on, Santi? A couple of years. The SEC yeah. has uh, has basically had a lawsuit against Ripple saying that they had issued this unregistered security. Ripple has been fighting back. I know they spent tens of millions of dollars. I've heard some people say that they've spent hun- uh, hundreds of millions of dollars fighting this whole bunch of time, battling it out in the in, in the courts. Um, yeah. And they got a huge, a, a, a massive win. One of the biggest, mm-hmm. I think, legal wins actually crypto's ever got uh, came today. Uh, when they found that um, the programmatic sales on the secondary market were not mm-hmm. uh, an unregistered securities offering. So huge win for Ripple today. Yeah. I mean, the the, the headline, of course, is, and I'll quote directly from an excerpt in, in the kind of the document that was released, XRP as a digital token is not in and of itself a quote-unquote contract transaction or scheme that embodies the Howey requirements of an investment contract. Rather, the court examines the totality of circumstances surrounding defendants' different transactions and schemes involving the sale and distribution of XRP. <clears throat> this is where, of course, the headline is super positive, right? It was like, hey, look, you know, Ripple. Some headlines went as far as suggesting Ripple is not a security. Now, <clears throat> the the correct, I would say the other headlines that I think are more balanced is Ripple is not an investment contract. Now, the more nuanced stake here is, <clears throat> as you said, there's a couple of different types of transactions that happen. One, you know, the, the really two in my mind, <clears throat> or if you look at the doc and it was still kind of processing this, but the first one is directly to kind of institutions, venture funds or <clears throat> hedge funds or whatnot. The other one was more through <clears throat> distributing through exchanges, excuse me. <clears throat> and uh, that that is where the court, I think, focused on, which meant to say on the second ones that this, when, when they were selling through exchanges, as you said, programmatically, <clears throat> that seemed to be okay because there was not a contract per se. And it was really this, is there a contract, right? If, if, you're, if you're selling to like a, a, a counterparty and there's a contract, well, obviously like there's a physical contract that digital, con- whatever that. Right, so you're saying institutional sales or like fundraising deals or Th- o- Those OTC, have a contract. Th- those are securities, they said, but trading... I think they said, I think they said, uh, yeah, it says here, let me, I'll just read it direct from the stock. The court concludes that Ripple's institutional sales of XRP constituted the unregistered offer and sale of investment contracts in violation of section five of the Securities Act. So the, the institutional sales, fundraising, OTC deals, things like that, that, that they did say that as a security. Uh, However, the programmatic sale on exchanges did didn't meet third prong of Howie. So sales to users via exchanges was fine as long as it was through an order book and not through some like OTC desk, launch pad, ICO, IEO, et cetera. Mm-hmm. So huge, huge, so th- huge win, is, right? It, 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 first of all, yeah. I mean, th- this is a well-capitalized player that was able to fight it for a number of years. And, and you know, um, so I think it is a, certainly a win. So who are the key winners? The first thing to pop in my mind, and I tweet about this is exchanges. Think exchanges, particularly an exchange like Coinbase. And look, full disclosure, I have exposure. I've been talking about this a lot in the podcast, Coinbase. Um, and I mean, it, it just, you could envision a world where exchanges play the primary role as an investment bank whenever there's a token listing. 
they're the ones that are gonna token <clears throat> projects will come will go to an exchange we'll have to submit information i mean a lot of projects already do this like if you want to get listed on an exchange you have to provide a lot of information around who are the investors who's the team uh, background of the team they do all kinds of information requirements the same with an investment bank whenever it's taking a company public would require all this information right for the roadshow um as a kind of like a a lead left book runner if you will placement agent so a lot of this information has already been recorded by exchanges. So I, I think if I'm reading here, the key winners here are exchanges, also projects that have like done these type of sales through exchanges. Um, and where I'm not as clear, maybe you have an opinion on is, so where does, so if some sales are contracts and others are not, then you can't really go as far as saying like Ripple is not a security, can you? Because I don't think we're there yet. At least that's my hmm. interpretation. So I think the biggest winner, so R Ripple's a pretty centralized company, right? Or centralized foundation, whatever you want to call it. They've got like Brad Garlinghouse. They've got Chris, uh, what's his name? Chris Larson, I think it is. Um, if, if, if Ripple's not a security here, then most of but the... Yeah, I see. I, I know what you're about. I know what you're saying. You know, not those things are, of course, like yeah. you, you read the, 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 the extra, of course, XRP as a digital contract. Yeah. Digital token is not in and of itself a contract transaction or scheme, which is one of the requirements of the Howey test. So if you fail one of the requirements, then I guess you can conclude that it is not an investment contract. I'm just asking the question, can you go as far as saying, if you read that line, that it's not a security? That's all I'm asking. I no, I don't think you can conclude that, but I think so. it's, I don't think you can, but I think it's one step closer. And here, here's, here's how I'm thinking about it. So you said uh, exchanges are a big winner. Completely agree. Huge mm -hmm. exchanges are a huge winner. If right, these institutional sales and OTC and direct token sales are securities, all selling of these tokens is going to flow through public order books. Another big winner. I am starting to, my mental model for these tokens is infrastructure tokens and, uh, and app tokens. I'm going to call uh, Ripple, I'm going to call XRP an infrastructure token. So an infrastructure token is uh, is a token that basically derives value from selling block space. So Solana, uh, like I think some of the winners here, Solana, uh, Cosmos, like Polygon, basically the L1s, the L2s. I'm going to, I would bucket all of these as like people whose token is directly linked back to the business model of selling block space, which is what the business model of an L1 is. There's another bucket that I still think is TBD which are the app tokens. So I, I don't know if the SEC sees it this way, but like I feel like this is going to be, it's not the conversation yet, but I think that's where this conversation heads is infrastructure tokens, business models, block space, tokens linked back to the, it's, it's a commodity and uh, it's, a, it's a pretty clear commodity. Then there's these like app tokens where I think jury's still, still out on that. Yeah, look, I, I think I don't want to minimize the impact and I guess it is a very positive news, but it's important to like still process this, have the right people, lawyers, which I'm not one, uh, comment on it. And of course we'll have Rebecca, <clears throat> maybe Jay come on and, and really parse this through. Uh, there's gonna be a lot of threads coming out, you know, the next 24 hours and, and we'll retweet and, <clears throat> you know, maybe comment on that next week. But so far, I think uh, I, would, uh, I would be cautious to, of course, I'm optimistic about this. I think the world that I envision is one where I, I remember seeing the SEC create a, a website that was like information capture disclosure um, group for crypto specifically, but I haven't seen like much come out of it. But if I'm looking at the chessboard and how it's going to move forward, I think to your point, it looks very much like any token issuer is going to have to go through an exchange. Um, I don't know how that, where the venture rounds come into this pre-token. It gets messy, right? It gets really messy because you you only have two options to buy a token now. You you can't do these. What, right? what I'm saying is when you're investing in an early stage company pre-token, you know, a SAFT, which is, has a warrant for a token, I, I, I'm not sure if there's an impact at all to, to that ecosystem. Uh, because there's still a place, right, where 
you know, a company, when it's an idea, a seed or seed round or a series A, like you can't just launch a token. Like what is this? Right. Right. I don't think, I don't think you just go direct ever to, to have a token. I, I think at some point, if you're going to launch a token, you have to sell it, distribute it, do the proper information disclosures to the public, meaning this is customers of an exchange, like registered customers of an exchange that have been KYC'd, AML'd. Someone might say, wait a minute, what happens though to, for instance, Coinbase is not in every country, right? Um, so does that mean that any exchange, is there going to be a list of exchanges where this becomes relevant? Is this finally like us persons will be able to participate and invest in these tokens if they're customers registered customers of a us registered license exchange i think so right so it's a it's a big precedent i think and offers a way forward for a lot of projects i think i might change my mind on this but so far uh, a pretty nice path forward for if you're ever thinking of launching a token and you want to be compliant, then you go through an exchange in a programmatic sale in a fair, equitable or, manner. Or you do like a reg B filing. Do you remember, uh, do you remember stacks like Muneev and stacks? Yeah. They sold, I think you only have two ways. Like if you're a big venture fund, you only have two ways to buy a token. Now you either buy it on the open market or you have to basically convince the, uh, the protocol to do a reg D filing, which is very expensive. Right. I remember, I, th I think Blockstack or now it's called stacks did this reg D filing and they did it in the right way, but it cost them a boatload of money. Um, it's really interesting, yeah. but you, but you make, you bring up a really good point. This might have a weird effect on the market. You might, um, you might see a lot of companies and protocols like racing to actually launch a token. It felt like we were in like anti-token days. It was like, just raise normal money, do like a promise to have a token later. And like, you weren't, I think this is actually going to push a lot of protocols to launch their tokens faster because if you just did like a big OTC deal or a venture raise or staffed or something like that. That's what the judge here constituted as going as, as a security. So now what you want to do is you want to basically sprint to get your token out the door. I think I think that could be a weird second order implication here. Possibly, yeah. I think then the the second thing on my mind is a lot of these exchanges, some have like broker dealer licenses, other like I'm still kind of thinking through like does that mean that like exchanges now will have to get a broker dealer license or partner with someone that has a broker dealer license um anyways yeah i don't know yeah interesting but, uh, i mean this uh, the other winners the etfs right like how do you have a case mm -hmm. to not get the blackrock yeah, yeah. etf approved at this point if you're gensler you know zooming out you know if, if we were talking about like at the beginning of the year we always make these predictions and time and time again we we talk about okay well it'd be nice to get clarity and it's i mean as you alluded as you mentioned earlier this ripple case started three two and a half three years ago yeah maybe even more and so this folks you just realize like these things take a lot of time and so of course the the other cases might not take as long because I think they've been moving at a, at a pretty fast pace. And maybe this is an, in one of those cases that really sets a nice precedent for other cases to perhaps move at a faster pace. But of course, we have the, the, the grayscale lawsuit, right? Alleging that, you know, around the, the you know, the, the GBTC and ETHE kind of products. Um, that seems to be moving in a positive direction. Um, you have the Coinbase um sec kind of uh case happening as well um so those two i think are really big and in my estimation the court has been siding favorably both with crypto companies and not the sec yeah um so yeah it'll be interesting to see the sec response i'm sure there will be one but um but yeah no overall quite positive for the industry i mean you, you know what's interesting did you see uh did you see the Mashinsky Celsius news today? Well, I wanted to get to that after. Yeah. Uh. But I was just gonna wrap maybe this conversation up by saying Coinbase is now up another 10% on the day. Of course, it rallied a bunch, you know, it was up. I mean, my goodness. Like uh started the started month, the year around a like month 35. Ago. Yeah. Yeah, started a year at 35. Now it's up 3x. 
Um, it was a month ago, it was sitting at 50. Now it's almost doubled. It's 94, 95. We're up 100% um, on the month. 80%. Yeah. Rip. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Give or take, um, it's 82% on the month. Uh, on the year, it's uh, 158%. And I think the most two positive, the biggest catalyst here, of course, is before this, I think the, the market's interpreting this as quite positive for Coinbase is the, the as we talked about last week, the ETF and, and, you know, having all these, if the ETF gets approved, Coinbase has all these agreements with the ETF providers for like what is called uh, monitoring, um, you know, suspicious monitoring. Yeah, yeah. Stuff. Yeah. So anyways, yeah. You can quite quickly positive. see how this changes, right? Because yeah. well, bear, mar bear markets end when things that feel unthinkable actually happen, right? And I think the Ripple win is one of those moments. BlackRock ETF approval would be another one of those moments. Um, this also, maybe Coinbase ripping opens the door for more crypto companies to go public. Do you remember the Krakens and, and Circles mm -hmm. of the world who had, who had talked about going public at the you know, kind of fall of 2021? Never happened because the market fell out. But Yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, I think uh, it's, it's important to look, certain things move really slowly, right? You know, this Ripple case has been going on for four years and then very quickly momentum shifts yeah. now we could before this earlier this week a lot of people were like sour on the it's like every week we, it's quite volatile how sentiment um you know shifts in, in in crypto right when very quickly when the fed stepped in and said oh there might be two more rate hikes this before the cpa that the cpi number came in you know people like crypto immediately like went down people like oh you know like it's just interesting because there's so much noise in markets, particularly in cryptos, because, you know, it never shuts down. Right. Um, but I do think if you were to zoom out, I think these two events, the ETF and, and these cases are, are very strong signals that can shift momentum very quickly, putting macro aside and all the things that we can't control. But as an industry specific catalyst, these two are, are massive, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Tough day for Mashinsky. SEC, DOJ, CFTC, and FTC all sued or charged Celsius Mashinsky in uh, all this morning. All Wasn't like he eight. arrested as well? Yeah, he's put into custody as well. Yeah. Um, I think the, the biggest allegation or one of the biggest allegations around wire fraud, which is a very broad kind of, uh, kind of um, term, is that he manipulated the price of Celsius, the token. Along with like, yeah, you know, along with selling it and, you know, not making proper disclosures. But um, yeah, funny, I met, the, I met Mashinsky. He was pitching Celsius in the early days in New York. Yeah, my, my spidey senses just went off, you know. <laughs> Dude, I was, so do you know the, the backstory of Blockworks is Mike and I paid like a hundred bucks to go to an event in 2017. Damn. And one of the speakers, actually, I think the keynote speaker at this event in New York was Mashinsky. And Mike and I were like... Oh my God, all these people paid money to go see, to go hear like this scammer speak on. Cause I mean, you meet the guy in your spidey senses. If you have any gut feel towards people, your, yeah. your spidey senses I go mean, off. He, I, I, I vividly remember him claiming that he was the inventor he of invented uh, VOIP. Boy, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was like, and I had done like Vonage and a few deals with yeah. JP Morgan. I'm like, yeah, I'm pretty sure you're not. Yeah. And like a quick Google yeah, search quick and Google. you're like, most definitely not. Um, yeah. No. It is, right. it is wild though that, I mean, he ended up raising from like pension, like. Oh yeah. The CCPIP, Canadian. Yeah. The Canadian pension. I mean, mm -hmm. folks just, uh, yeah. The manner in which he was, I think there are certain traits of people that in, in crypto, I think your radar for this stuff needs to go up if you want to survive and just dodge bullets and landmines. But when people make these kind of claims, and are very defensive. It's just like a, you know, uh, you have to pause and like, just like probably not do business with these people, but yeah, yeah obviously. Yeah. Did you see the, uh, the exchange between the CRO and Mashinsky? No. Here, let, me re let me read this to you. Uh, C CRO says to Mashinsky, the issue is that people are selling and no one is buying except for us. The value was fake and was based on us spending millions just to keep it where it is. Mashinsky responds, is Dogecoin value real? How about the $5 billion for Solana? Everyone knows what these tokens are and wants to buy them because they think the price just keeps going up. Huh. Not, not great, Mashinsky. The, the remind me here, but one of the biggest claims here is that he had used depositor money 
to pump the price of Celsius token while he was selling at the same time his personal stack. Yeah, there's a bunch of claims here, right? The 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 SEC claims that uh, Celsius and Mashinsky, first off, raised billions through these like fraudulent and unregistered sales of what they call crypto asset securities. Uh, they, number two, they repeatedly lied to investors about their financials. So they're cooking the books, basically. And then three, uh, they're manipulating the price of Celsius or sell token, uh, like, you, like you said, which was uh, the, the company's kind of native token. So the good news in the SEC case against Celsius is they, they only said that sell was, was a security. They weren't, it's not like what they've done in the mm-hmm. past couple months where, where they named, they said sell yeah, is the security alongside all these other ones. Alongside they, all the other tokens yeah. that they, you know, some of the tokens that supported. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, um, anything else? Yeah. Well, there's another, um, earlier this week, I think it was the New York, uh, Oh, SDNY. Yeah. Southern district. Yeah. I think his name is Daniel. He, uh, this was the first time that attacking a smart contract, um, was deemed like a a fraudulent activity. Right. And basically it was a Solana DeFi protocol. I believe you might know the specifics here. But um, this particular individual, I think, manipulated the price of a DeFi protocol and like raped a pretty good stack. I forget the exact figure. Um, but anyways, I think this is important in the sense that um, there's there's been a number of attacks of this nature in DeFi protocols through either flash loans manipulating kind of the, the, the Oracle price feed. And you wonder, hey, well, you know... Um, this is what has been deemed, oh, like expl- not, you know, like an inefficiency in an ARB is now potentially could be considered fraudulent activity. Um, yeah. So, I mean. Yeah, what was he doing? It seems, it sounds like he was creating fake. So this guy, uh, I forget his name, but anyways, this guy was creating fake accounts with, with fake price data to mm-hmm. base, what they say is fraudulently inducing the protocol to believe that they're real, real accounts. And then he then used these real accounts or these, excuse me, fake accounts to generate millions in inflated fees based on this kind of fake price tick data that he was supplying. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and then, like you were just talking about, like leverage these flash loans to take out tens of millions in, in flash loans, basically provided uh, funds as liquidity in a pool, used the fake accounts he created to claim an even higher percentage of the LP fees, repaid the loans. And and you can basically just put that on repeat. Yeah, yeah. It's is, that, is that see? Is that that's funny? Is that an arbitrage opportunity or is that fraud? That's what I'm. That that's my. I guess point. it's fraud because he created fake accounts to do it, uh, and created yeah. this, like kind of fake data. Yeah, but I, I mean, the obvious question here is then: Well, where do you like? What does that mean, for instance, for airdrops? Uh, you know, a lot of people like in crypto, you right. can have multiple accounts, right? You can yeah. have multiple wallets. Yeah, so this idea attacks. of civil resist, like, you know, like you can civil attack a protocol. Then does that also open up? You know, where where do you kind of draw the line between an arb, an inefficiency between two protocols? Which I I think in that case it's not, versus, you know, like exploiting a smart contract. Um, to reap a certain benefit. Like, is this like a very gray yeah. area here? I think in this one, it was, we're not probably articulating it very clearly, but um, but yeah, I wouldn't go as far as saying like all ARB yeah. uh, strategies in crypto are. Did, did you uh, did you see the DOJ got his Google receipts and they found what he was searching on Google afterwards? Yeah. It was like yeah. DeFi hack, pulls up the DEX's website, then Google's crypto white collar criminal attorneys, then Google's, it's just the word embezzles, wire fraud, how to prove malicious intent, how to stop government I, from seizing assets. And then, yeah, and the then the last like, one is cross borders with crypto. The last something? one is buying citizenship. <laughs> yeah. 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 Interesting. Uh, those were, I think, the biggest regulatory. Yeah. Uh, there were two actions. other really interesting things that happened this week. I actually, before this Ripple thing came uh, started, when you were like, hey, should we do the roundup? There was actually two really cool product innovations I saw this week. Uh, one was the uh, Patek Philippe NFT loan, and uh, the the other was Coinbase Wallet to Wallet messaging. Um, so maybe we could talk about both those. I don't know if you you saw either of those. Yeah, but uh, go let's ahead. do Patek Philippe because I know you like your watches. Um, this week, mm-hmm. uh, basically, what happened if if anyone didn't see it is this week a a lender gave a a total stranger on the internet a thirty five thousand dollar loan at twelve percent APR. The kicker is that. Uh, this was done in DeFi NFT land. Uh, basically, the uh, a Patek Philippe 
which uh, which is a is a watch, a nice watch brand, was used as collateral here. The borrower sent the watch to an escrow company, who then sent back an NFT, which the NFT represents ownership of the watch in this case. The borrower then listed the NFT on Arcade, Arcade, I think it's Arcade.xyz, accepted the best loan offer on it, and then the NFT was transferred to an escrow wallet until the term is up or until the borrower repays. And it's really interesting because the only way to get the watch back is by burning the NFT. Mm-hmm. So that if the, how's this work? Yeah, if the borrower defaults, the lender can then claim the watch. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's really cool. I mean, you can see this, this is obviously very early days, but like you can see a world like the lender doesn't even have to know the borrower's name. They just have to yeah. know that they are the rightful owner of the watch, which is what the NFT does here. And obviously- well, you, you need to trust the escrow agent. Yeah, you, you. I mean, I think there's this company 4K Protocol that's doing this, and mm-hmm. for the naysayers, obviously you can go get a loan on your watch at like a local pawn shop or something like that. But any time that you kind of tap into global liquidity versus li- uh, local liquidity, you're always going to find the best rates. So like 12% yeah, APR absolutely. is pretty high right now, but eventually, as this becomes a global liquidity market, you you the, uh, and, rates will be driven down. Can you be? Um... I guess the way of defaulting is is not paying interest. Yeah, Only. I guess. I guess so. Yeah. Not like uh cuz you know th- there's a secondary market on these watches there's fairly fair amount of liquidity if the value of said collateral who's appraising the collateral like is for or is it just like just interest, you know, as long as you're paying your interest irrespective yeah. of the secondary market price of this particular Patek Philippe watch then um and that doesn't really compute. Yeah, because I, I have questions like, how do you verify the authenticity of the watch? Well, well? you can. You you can ask these houses. You but can, can go you ask to the four K protocol to do it, or is four K protocol is probably using someone else on the back end? Maybe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You can send the watch to service to Patek Philippe registered, or the or one of the houses themselves, or it, to get to get it verified. Yeah, I think so it's you, pretty you cool. Praise it. Four K. Yeah, there, there's some like, there's some costs, of course. Like you appraise it, you verify authenticity. And then, yeah, you you're you probably that bake that into the APY though, which yeah, then gets yeah. sent back on the back end a little bit. I'm sure you know 4K yeah, is clipping probably some like or, an origination fee that yeah. is being deducted at some point. Yeah, but that, that this is cool. In a nutshell, basically mm. 4K protocol is this physical item to NFT, NFT on chain converter, and then you can t- use that physical item in in DeFi. I don't know. It's pretty sweet. You can start yeah. to see like pieces connecting, right? Like, mm-hmm. uh, you know, we did that episode. You weren't on it, but with with Leshner talking about what he's doing with Super State and like real world assets. That mm-hmm. awesome episode we did with Punk Six Five Two Nine talking about yeah. you know NFTs. Like, just you can kind of feel this all coming together and like little tip of the iceberg for what's uh, coming. Yeah, I think so. Um, it is quite interesting. I earlier this week I've been thinking a lot about real world assets in, in this scenario where I've had like mixed feelings about for one i i earlier people may have heard me say i'm more interested in digitally native use cases first uh when you think about versus some real world assets it was just i was critical because hey you may have an oracle problem um you obviously have a trusting a custodial problem or a underwriter verifier problem right um but i think like looking into it i mean and a lot of this was inspired uh two days ago maker um you know was looking into maker dow's real world asset portfolio and it's valued at like 2.3 billion die so it's not chump change and importantly like real world assets and it's a combination of like different providers and a lot of it's in treasuries some like hedge funds like block towers in there they have some, a, a lot of it is with um what is called, uh, you might know this better, but like, I think they did a huge T-bill buy, right? Through through this like agent, Bonitalis, uh, Clydesdale or so, 1.1 billion of balance. Um, then they have a bunch of Coinbase custody, different strategies, but like 78% of all, um, of, of all stability fees generated this year have been from real world assets, which is pretty wild, right? Say so that, again. 70% of fees have been generated. If I'm reading this correctly, real world assets make up 79.7, call it 80% of all stability fees generated by the maker protocol. Where do you um, see that? This was a 
Oh, that's interesting. Tweet from Maker. Yeah. Wow. In May, in May, eighty percent of all stability fees generated by the protocol world were from real world assets. So, huh. the real world asset stability fees for MakerDAO have accumulated to seventeen million, seventeen seventeen point two million die year to date. And since inception, that's been nineteen point five. Hmm. So that's a lot of fees, right? A lot of it's just treasuries, right? Um, but um, yeah, that's it's cool. Been, it's been pretty interesting to see. So all of this, like we we talk a lot about catalysts, right? Um, and DeFi has been percolating, of course. Like the resurg- people talk about the resurgence of DeFi. That's been an, a narrative that's kind of le- catching on now. Yeah. I mean, DeFi has been sort of left for dead for two years or more. Um, but yeah, so my, my thinking there, like even Larry Fink uh, from BlackRock alluded to this kind of in his Fox interview, talking about like, of course, the ETF, of course, Bitcoin. But then he said the tokenization of assets is just a huge market, right? Um, and it reminds me, of course, when we talk about this Patek uh, kind of use case, it seemed, it may seem like small, quirky, and you might not even like like watches or whatever, but it's a huge market. Like yeah, uh, secondary market on watches is, is yeah. not small. This company, Chrono24, which is a Chrono, uh, yeah, exactly. kind of like a, a, um, a portal where you can see and like look at like all the different like watches yeah. that are for sale in the secondary market. And now about Cristiano Ronaldo just invested, it's valued at like 1 billion, like Inside Partners, an investor. Um, Hodinkee Hodinki was a media, uh, was a, as a media yeah. company, Churnin Group bought them or did a big investment yeah. in them. They're just a yeah. media brand. They do like a hundred million in revenue and, from and, their and, secondary watch marketplace. Now. Secondary markets are highly inefficient, C- certain secondary markets, right? Um, but you, companies like StockX and whatnot, the verification and all this stuff. But I do agree with that. Like I was just thinking real world assets, I think as a percentage of DeFi sort of AOM TVL is going to rise considerably. I'd yeah. Say. Um, it's probably going to go to battle-tested DeFi protocols, right? And in L2s where you kind of know the counterparty. Um, so look, not all real assets are, you know, the same. Some I think are more well-suited. Maybe Leshner's company allowing you to like directly like tokenize treasuries is, is, you know, seems pretty useful. Um, but, uh, in, in aggregate, I think there's a big opportunity here. Here's here's uh here's my counter argument against uh, to Lester's. Co- I've been thinking about that podcast a lot. To Lester's company is that um, new new technology platforms typically gain traction not by bringing on an existing supply from somewhere, but by enabling this like really long tail of supply that wasn't accessible with the prior platforms. So treasuries, you can you can go buy treasuries today on like any platform. It's very easy to get treasuries today. Um, the real world assets, on chain real world assets that are going to gain traction. And like drive adoption here are going to be things that are that you can't access today for like like watch like watch liquidity or something like taking a loan on your watch. And if you if you think about examples of this, you've got like um, I don't know what are some examples. A- Airbnb like Airbnb basically unlocked all these like mom and pop people to basically list mm-hmm. their homes. Now that Airbnb is huge, you have the traditional supply of like hotels coming onto Airbnb, Uber mm-hmm. and Lyft. Now taxis use Uber and Lyft. Yeah, to find to find demand, but like in the early days, obviously it wasn't like that. YouTube, right? YouTube made it possible for anyone with a camera to publish video content. Now the big brands have come on, so it starts with this long tail of supply, and then eventually that pulls in the the kind of like existing supply. But it usually doesn't start with the existing supply because you can access that already. Spotify, right? Primarily, like just these small indie folks. Then it gets big, and then the traditional music record labels come on to Spotify. So. Yeah, you know, I I think obviously, let's keep it simple, folks. Like time and time again, like we try to overcomplicate and we become defensive. Just like finance, the key thesis, at least to verify, we were kind of the first like DeFi focused fund before DeFi was even a thing. Like both Ben and I came from finance backgrounds. And I think if you come from finance, you have a deep appreciation for how inefficient it is. Like you don't even have to come from finance. You just, if you compare the types of products and services you have access to in finance, like financial products through your bank account, um, feels really, really, um, antiquated, inefficient. And some folks might not appreciate it. Right. Cause you're like, Oh, Venmo works fairly well. Um, but then it really, it takes a company like even like, you know, uh, square for instance, or a firm to come in and like innovate and people are like, oh wow, like a Robin Hood. And they're like, 
But really deep, deep down, I mean, finance is still highly inefficient, probably the most inefficient right. industries. It hasn't really caught up to the internet. And that's really kind of the use case here of crypto. It's like finance is due for an update. And this technology uniquely kind of enables tapping into and created creating like these more efficient capital markets where you can t tap into global liquidity, yeah. something like a stable coin or something like a sediment, like a, using like the Ethereum protocol, whatnot, you know, and so it's um, sometimes just go back to like the simple principles of like why we're kind of building this. And, and the nice thing is, you know, mind you, DeFi is pretty battle tested. It's been working in very adversarial conditions like you know, time and time again, we talk about ARBs and exploits, you know, there's been like crypto is a very volatile market. And so when you create money markets like Compound and Aave and Maker, like allowing people to lend and borrow and to be able to support and create like this network to absorb these like huge constant shocks is, is super impressive. And that gives you confidence to then say, okay, let's plug in a way more liquidity, whether it's real world assets or more stable coins, like these protocols can, you can inject. And I think I'd be open to discuss this if someone doesn't believe it, but you can inject way more liquidity in those protocols. And I think you have a fair amount of confidence that you're able to absorb it in, in like, you know, um, and that I think is a, is a great setup for the next phase, right? If you really yeah. want to see DeFi scale to trillions, it most likely will be, um, Using, you know, when people, when we talk about a permission DeFi environment, like an L2, for instance, where you have to KYC, right? Or it's base, right? We have an episode with the Coinbase folks where everyone kind of, if you're, if you're a, the most simple kind of way that I see DeFi scaling over a trillion is base or some L2, for instance, base, all the customers of Coinbase have already been KYC'd, right? You then have access to base, this L2. And in that ecosystem, you have these apps, whether it's Compound or Aave, like a bunch of DeFi apps. And you can even potentially even buy tokens, right? New token listings, right? Because it's distributed in a programmatic manner. Um, and also have access to all these different real tokenized real world assets, right? And then you have you know, millions of customers um, interacting with DeFi. All right, quick break from the show. There is this kind of overused cliche saying in crypto, but it's true. Bear markets are building and everyone tells you that and everyone knows it. What people don't know is that if you're building apps in crypto and building apps in Web3 without using QuickNode, you are building on hard mode. So QuickNode is, is this amazing blockchain development platform. It reduces costs, streamlines the time to market for your app, and it offers consistent performance at scale. For folks that have built apps, you will know that there are a couple key points here. One, QuickNode offers unlimited endpoints across 18 different chains and 35 different networks. They have response times that are two and a half times faster than any of their competitors, 99.99% uptime and a dedicated 24-7 customer support team. If you've been listening to Empire for a while, you might know that I am no gigabrain developer, but I do know a lot of devs and a lot of great product teams at other places. So when I see Coinbase and Twitter and Adobe and OpenSea and Dune Analytics all leveraging and trusting QuickNode to power their business, that's when we get excited and that's when we want to partner with them. They're the best solution for any leading crypto and Web3 company that is seeking an end-to-end -end blockchain development platform right out of the box. So my message to you, get off hard mode, let QuickNode handle the blockchain infrastructure, let QuickNode handle the security let QuickNote handle the performance while you focus on building beautiful products for your users. Visit quicknote.com, super easy. You can use code EMPIRE. You'll get a free month on their build plan. So don't forget to use code EMPIRE. Santi and I got to get credit for this one so they know that we sent you and you will get a first month free. Hope you guys enjoy it. Hey everyone, we'll get back to Empire in just a minute. But before we do that, I want to let you know that we have Permissionless coming up. Permissionless is big conference that Blockworks and Bankless put on together. It is the biggest, the best DeFi conference in crypto. This year, it is in Austin, Texas, September 11th through 13th. If you've been in crypto for a while, you know that bear market conferences are the best kind of conferences. We have a phenomenal lineup of speakers. A lot of the guests that you hear on Empire are both going to be speaking there. You will have the opportunity to meet them there. And a lot of the topics that we cover on Empire, ZK Tech, Rollups, Account Abstraction, MEV, 
app chain thesis, a lot of that kind of stuff that will all be discussed at Permissionless this year. So because you are a listener of Empire, you get a special discount. That's right. Santi and I negotiated with our marketing team. You get 30% off if you go to blockworks.com forward slash permissionless. Empire 30 is going to get you 30% off your ticket. Today, when I'm recording this, that's about $300 off your ticket. So type in Empire 30 when buying your permissionless ticket, you get about 300 bucks off. Click the link at the bottom of this episode. It's in the show notes. Do it quickly because prices go up all the time. And if you are going to permissionless, hit me up, let me know, shoot me a DM on Twitter. I would love to meet up with you there. Let's talk about Coinbase. Coinbase, uh, we've talked about them before. Again. Obviously, let's talk about them <laughs> again. Um, they had a yeah. cool second product. They had a cool product innovation this week with wallet-to-wallet yeah. messaging. So if you guys missed it, this week they, la- uh, they launched built-in messaging on the Coinbase wallet. Uh, Coinbase wallet's been around for years. It's been around for like three, four, five years, I think. Um, but they launched this week, it, they launched um, uh, end-to-end encrypted, private, portable uh, messaging on the on the Coinbase wallet. It's really really cool. I think it's a it's a big innovation. It was powered by um uh, this uh, startup that's been around for a couple of years. XMTP. X- yeah, XMTP. Are Full disclosure, gonna... I'm an investor. Oh, so. big surprise. Yeah. <laughs> is that, is that Galligan? Is that is that Matt? Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, that is, it is. It is. What was he building before? Was he leading product at Kraken? I remember him from like many years ago. Um, I remember I, when they went and did this years ago, and I was like, oh, yeah. messaging protocol. Don't really get that. Now it's cool to see it come to life. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. it's really, um, cool. but basically what it lets you do is it allow, allows you to connect directly through your wallet, engage with anyone, whether it be kind of business to like company to community or just person to person. It allows you to send payments across thousands of different coins. Uh, you can send, like I could send you USDC just if I had your like ENS domain, uh, gas free USDC as well. Um, gives you full control and ownership over your chats, which is a concept that we've never really thought about before. Um, it's kind of like, like imagine being able to take your telegram slack and, uh, I don't know, signal conversations and like, and Twitter DMS and kind of move them across apps essentially. Maybe, I mean, maybe one example of this is just like SMTP, which is the email protocol. I can open up outlook or I can open up Gmail or I can open up any, any app for, for with my email and it like, and it's got the, it's got my emails in there. So it's a, it's, I don't know. I think it's really cool. Um, mm-hmm. yeah, all in one messaging payments, no more juggling a bunch of different separate apps for, for payments and messaging. And actually my takeaway for this was not, I care less about the person to person here because, you know, we've, I messaged you on telegram, like at Blockworks we use Slack. We already have emails. I feel like there's already so many messaging apps. I wasn't that excited about this, but it solves a big problem that we've had at Blockworks, which mm-hmm. is, um, uh, interacting with permies actually. So if you own a permie, it's very tough for us to get in contact with you. Let's say you buy a permi. We don't, there's no way to email you. There's no way to message you. So we just have to hope that you see our tweets that tell you to go jump into our Discord or jump into the Telegram, right? We, and that's just a hope. Now we can actually message you one-to-one through this, through this app to be like, hey, by the way, if you own a permi, you get free access to Permissionless this year. Mm-hmm. Now we can actually send that. We've never had a way to directly communicate that before. So yeah. we're no, really excited about it. Yeah. 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 Wallet wars are here, like we've talked about before. We gotta have Chow back on the podcast talk more about the wallet wars. But it's just cool to see uh, Coinbase pushing the limits of what wallets can do here. I think it's very exciting. So. Yeah, the functionality of, of wallets is is the thing very bare bones here. Um, and like even even of course like uh, EtherScan supports like messaging certain wallets, and you could send tech. I mean, sending a message to a wallet, you, anyone can do that. Of course, an encrypted manner is a different story, right? Because you could send, it, people may recall this, whenever a hack goes down, like a lot of times protocols communicate with a hacker by sending them, like appending certain data in the transaction that is, you know, when you read the bytecode, it's, it's sort of like translated to text. Yeah. And we can see it. So you could see this exploding and it's very, very nascent, but uh, the use case is there, right? Yeah. Um, Which, by the way, like for, further reinforces, right? Like Venmo really made like finance fun. But like in the sense of like, yeah, with the news feed, it's a and messaging, right? Yeah. And you were like, it became really popular. So is Robinhood because Do you know why they did that, by the way, activity. for Venmo was uh, when you t- when you type an emoji to your friend, like it's like you type yeah. a house emoji, then they can much easier. It's much easier for them to categorize uh, the, yeah. the data on the back end. So. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The reality really? is most people don't like to think about their finances or yeah. to switch providers. But anytime you 
embedded in the flow of messaging, like a communications, it explodes. Like the, the right. number of transactions, the number of users, like uh, the, the Asian giants really did this particularly well, like WeChat and Kakao and all these different app messaging applications or social applications really embedded finance after the fact. And so this is where, of course, we joke around like DeFi has like 10 active users. Um, I think you can see through messaging and communication channels opening up, uh, this could really like stable coins are a killer product. They're probably the best product crypto offers today. Right. And so, you know, when you talk about embedding now communications to that, it's huge. Yeah. We got to get Coinbase as a sponsor here. Cause I got one more Coinbase thing. Base oh, is now open. Base, base just opened up uh base, like quietly opened up mainnet today for all their users. So, well, I'm um, good for Coinbase, bullish Coinbase. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, it's, it's good to see that. I, I think they carry a lot of weight. Yeah. And they do good for the ecosystem. That's all I got, man. Arkham botched a bunch of stuff this week. We don't need to pay. Yeah, uh, guys, uh, watch uh, out for the referral link. You know, they're doxing people and they have your wallet address. So, you know, don't uh, do not do that. <laughs> uh, Google opened up crypto access. That was kind of cool. Um, really cool. I'll, I, could you just talk like one minute in that? Because I think just, it, it, I, in my mind is probably the biggest news. Yeah, ba- yeah, yeah. Basically, Google Play now allows users to earn crypto assets in apps and games. So... Uh, the the TLDR is it's been very hard to like kind of embed crypto into into these apps. There's a lot of restrictions against it. Uh, Google announced that they will now permit apps and games and games. This that is on allow, Android, right? Yeah, that allow users to buy, sell, and earn um, uh, uh, crypto like NFTs. Mm-hmm. And um, didn't uh, it's always been an issue with the the phone, right? Like the App Store, for instance, has been really hard on crypto. Yeah. Any sort of payments or crypto applications, even like buying a book through well, Apple's Amazon. Apple's very is. slow and conservative when it comes to allowing users to trade. Well, it's monopolistic behavior too. Yeah. I don't think they're like but, but slow just, per yeah. se. I, I think they're just you. like, yeah. But Axie, I think got like yeah. approval this week. And there was a report that even in spite of that, like the user base was like not really growing that much. But uh, I think m- my point more so is, I think it puts pressure on Apple, like having Android oh, now sure. really move in this direction, then uh, you know, I think it's it sets the stage then for for really making the argument where if all of a sudden Apple feels pressure that it, in lost revenue, then I you know I think obviously they're the behemoth, right? Dominant yeah. smartphone player, but still, I think it's important uh, as we talk about these gatekeepers that have been historically very reluctant in allowing any sort of crypto um, apps or uh, yeah. services uh, in their in their. System. Let me read you. Let me read you this quote from uh, this guy mm-hmm. Joseph Mills, who's a. Uh, a product manager at Google Play he said, "From reimagining traditional games with user-owned content to boosting user loyalty through unique NFT rewards, we're excited to see creative in-app experiences flourish and help developers expand their businesses." Yeah. Good for Google. Good for Joseph. Yeah, absolutely. True, rap man. That's all I got for you. I think so. Short one, forty-five minutes. Uh, any? Oh, you know what I watched yesterday? What? Uh, Mission Impossible. The Hell eight. yeah. Hell yeah. <laughs> Man, I went to this movie at 9.45 p.m. Of course, trailers, what's going on with the world? Trailers last 25 minutes. And I'm sitting there. I'm like, the movie started at 10 p.m. It's a two-hour, almost three-hour movie. I mean, it's a. I love these kind of movies. Like, I, I'm a fan yeah. of this thing. James Bond, like, Mission Impossible is fun. It's, it's, it's a good movie. Um but yeah, I can. The last time I was in the cinema, I did, think I was to go watch a James Bond movie. No, I definitely did not go alone. No. Like, <laughs> what are you talking you went about? Alone. You went alone. I did not go alone. <laughs> I did not go alone. But even that. if I were to go alone. I it. That's okay. Okay, listen. I'm. You were the one that was talking. May I remind <laughs> listeners and viewers that uh, Yano, last episode, as we talk about books a lot, said, hey, maybe we should put a, a Amazon referral links here so we can start making some money on books. I'm like, listen, let's not go Fair there. I think over. we are. We don't have to do that anymore. We're good. We're ripping. Thank you. you. Know even if I'm we in. were, even if we were in a really bad bear market, I wouldn't like, no, dude, you wouldn't, you wouldn't even let me say subscribe to the podcast. <laughs> I'm like, dude, we got to get, we got to get some subs out here. I'm just um, not into selling. The best form of selling is not selling, you know, but hey, not nonetheless, if anyone at Amazon is listening, 
uh, and wants to give us credits because we buy a bunch of books, then, you know, that'd be great. Yeah. There you go. Uh, you know what content I've been consuming? I fell down a Mr. Beast rabbit hole. Do you know who Mr. Beast is? Uh, he's like a wildly influential YouTube star, right? That's right. He's like yeah. the biggest YouTube he's star. He's the biggest, right? Yeah. Now. He has 160 million Crazy. subscribers, uh, 27 billion views on the channel. Wow. I think he did like a hundred million in revenue last year. Guy's twenty five years old. I listened Crazy. to this. Uh, There's a good episode on. Uh, I've never listened to this podcast before, but someone sent it to me. It's really good. Colin, Colin and Samir. I think it was called the Colin mm -hmm. and Samir show or something like that. And they had Mr. Beast on, uh, and they just talked about his whole life. The, the guy's an animal. He's uh he's like an incredibly focused, ambitious human. He's twenty five. Did a hundred million. He's got a couple hundred employees. Uh, wow. Yeah, it's very impressive. What is go watch his videos. What is the content? It's, it's like all kinds of gaming. It's like, and it's like comparing a one dollar yacht to a hundred dollar yacht to a million dollar yacht to a hundred million dollar yacht. Like I was watching this yacht video, and then like Tom Brady shows up on this five hundred million dollar yacht, a billion dollar, and then it's um, you know, he bought like a train and like drove it in. It's like child's content. It's like it's like sixteen year old boy humor, and it was. Let me ask you a question. Do you think anyone in Hollywood? ever imagined uh, this level of distribution and engagement from these uh, oh, this platforms? Was, uh, no, 100% no. Right. But like, like even as far as like 10 years ago, like I wouldn't think people would have thought no. even the Sequoia memo, like they, like a lot of them wanted, a lot of the partners wanted to pass on YouTube. And then it was like, Rale Podesta yeah. or whatever his name is to like, no, I have a prediction listening to Mr. Beast. I have a prediction. That guy is going to go launch a TV show on netflix mm -hmm. it will he already be, has one on youtube <laughs> no but he's gonna go get into the traditional streaming game he's Pro gonna production. go watch a show i mean i don't know i bet you he does mm -hmm. i bet you it'll be the most watched season of tv ever in history when that happens just i was talking about to a friend about this like it's crazy to think about that both i believe justin bieber and taylor swift got discovered um on youtube like perhaps the two most popular artists of our generation like you know yeah. i'm not saying if you like their music or not they're, but they're probably one of the most popular or successful it's got discovered through through this distribution um and and like this yeah. just what is a discovery engine youtube it's crazy fun fact the guy who discovered uh bieber was in my fraternity at emory this guy scooter braun he's now a huge deal <laughs> well, doesn't talk to us anymore <laughs> He wasn't talking to you. He wasn't, he wasn't talking, talking to you before that. He we talking to you after. When we were at Emory, he would, uh, we were, you know, we were in Atlanta. He was still in Atlanta and he would basically like, he would get like a nightclub basically in Atlanta and be like, mm. yo, I got, I got ludicrous to come. Like you got, you guys should buy tickets to this guy. thing. Yeah. It was that guy. Yeah. He was, like he was that guy. Buying, yeah. He's promoting. Yeah. He's like, you know, I got, you should buy a table. We're like, oh fuck. Okay. You definitely <laughs> tried. You definitely did. Yeah. Yeah. I could see you. I, I could see you. You wouldn't do something. You would do. No comment. <laughs> Anyone, folks, uh, ECC happening next week. A lot of stuff coming out Are you of going? that, I think. No, you're not going. No, only one conference a year, man. Um, I'm holding myself to that. But yeah, really exciting. If folks are going to be there, uh, let us know. Drop a comment. Uh, let us know how it goes and interesting stuff. And otherwise, yeah, have a great That's weekend, everyone. Yano, yeah, this is the pod. It was good, right? Good roundup. Cheers. See you guys.